You're listening to the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has been working to make cars safer. Find out more at autosafety.org. And with that, it's time for another episode of the Center for Auto Safety Podcast. Hey, this is the final episode of the year 2022. It's 2022, right? Yeah. Uh, that's exciting. We've, uh, you know, we started this podcast this year and, you know, this is episode 28. Is it 28? Somewhere in there. Yeah, 28, 27. And if you've been with us this whole time, we thank you and appreciate you and look forward to having you with us in 2023, the future. I just want to uh, note that we have many interesting guests lined up for 2023. So uh, hopefully we'll have even more perspectives than we've been able to provide so far. Yeah, 2023 January looks uh, we jam-packed with guests. That should be very exciting. You don't have to listen to us three morons. Um so that will be good. Uh, all right. So this week, um, Michael wants to talk about his New Year's resolutions. And boy, oh boy, does he have a list of them. Um, some of them I agree with. Some of them I'm like, what happened to you? No. Okay. So I'm just going to start reading down them and, and you know, you get to jump in and, and well, tell us more you about know, it. I think they're, they're not my resolutions necessarily. They're what I hope are the resolutions for a number of the folks we deal with in the auto space. Um, starting, of course, with NHTSA, who is uh, generally, you know, a, a target of ours, I guess, for some of the reasons that we'll talk about. Yeah, so you have number one on the list, NHTSA, the NHTSA. AEB, the Automatic Emergency Braking Rule, right. Seatbelt Reminder Rule. Now, I thought Seatbelt Reminders were, that was required, no? Because I get Those are just two examples of rules that have been outstanding for a long time. Um, the AEB rule hasn't, the Seatbelt Reminder Rule is one that we talked about before. That one's been waiting to be done for about 10 years now um i think we took nits of the court in the mid 2010s around that issue to try to force them to go ahead and write the rule and get these things into cars because at this point even when they write the rule there's going to be a compliance date we're going to be looking at probably 15 years or so between the time where congress said you got to get these in cars to start protecting people in the back seat and the time when cars actually start getting them into um, the vehicle so it's it's another one of those things that kind of comes under one big NHTSA resolution that NTSB and a number of other folks have pointed out, and this is just not getting their rules done in time. Um, they have a lot more rules open and that they're working on than anyone else in the DOT. Um, and it's just been an ongoing problem over there. And, I, you know, frankly, I don't see any other way to look at it than as um the automakers are delaying and pushing NHTSA not to issue these rules for years. You know, we had an administration prior to this one that wasn't interested in writing any rules, so that made it a little easier. But even now, when you get an administration that seems to be doing a lot of the right things, saying a lot of the right things, um, it's a problem. When was the last time, or does NHTSA ever take a car manufacturer to court to, like, force any of these things, well, force a recall? On recalls, when we talk about enforcement, 
No, I mean, it's very, very rare. And, you know, I think we'd like to see Nitsa get a lot more aggressive, particularly with a couple of other companies that we'll mention as the podcast moves on. Um, a lot of times we think well, NHTSA's process is basically gathering information from manufacturer when they see an issue. The public never gets a sense or never sees what's going on in NHTSA's investigations because they're not transparent. They don't update their um, databases. That's another thing on the list. Transparency uh, for NHTSA is something they should certainly make a resolution about because we're seeing a lot of problems there. Um but, you know, when in the enforcement context, manufacturers submit this data, they submit a lot of things, and it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a murky process as to how recalls come about, how they're um, influenced by NHTSA. And when there's really a big issue, um, like the type we saw with Takata or something where there's an obvious issue, NHTSA if there's any resistance on the part of the manufacturer, which there was with Takata, we'll issue orders and start the legal process to get the recall into place. But we just don't see that a lot with um, with NHTSA. We don't. We, we rarely see them take a manufacturer to court. In fact, we think they do their best to avoid it. Um, the last circumstance that you know we worked on that involved that process was probably <clears throat> the Jeep Grand Cherokee uh, fires uh, about eight years ago where, you know, Chrysler and the DOT ended up meeting in secret to decide what the outcome of that was going to be because NHTSA didn't have the spine at the time to take them to court and to force a recall of all the vehicles that were dangerous. So um, it's an ongoing problem at the agency. You know, you know, if I could name three resolutions, I wish they would have get their rulemaking processes in shape, get, get them going on time so that we can save more lives more quickly um get your enforcement in shape because there are a lot of investigations going on now and there are a lot of problems that we're seeing you know particularly with like tesla and some of this new tech that don't seem to be getting addressed very quickly some phantom braking issues are just kind of hanging out there without resolution um and then some some smaller issues that we think the agency should be looking into like uh lucid vehicles that are stalling on roads all over america and it's an it's a, hasn't opened an investigation yet so um that's the second thing in the enforcement side where they they need to buckle down and third you know transparency is critical and despite some of the things this current nits is doing we think their transparency is probably as bad or worse than than anyone in the last couple of decades that has a lot to do with the fact that NHTSA doesn't have a lot of funds to go through all the documents they receive in these investigations and make them public they're, they're struggling to keep up with the amount of documents they receive and that really um, hinders transparency because we have no idea what what's taking place um, under the covers there over there at NHTSA so in summary resolution one is lumbar support for NHTSA um resolution number two ev manufacturers uh, i like this one uh basically what are you trying to do selling a hummer that weighs three billion pounds with 1000 horsepower now i like yeah, the 1, I mean, horsepower but how much does this behemoth weigh i believe it weighs in around 9500 pounds uh, <laughs> when it comes down to it and there's just no reason for that car to be on our roads it's literally consumer demand and people that want to show off you know 
plunking down a lot of money for a vehicle that's way too freaking heavy um and is going to you know when they're in crashes they're going to cause worse injuries and a higher chance of deaths so we just wonder you know there's this big this huge push by by you know the government and by individuals and you know and by manufacturers to move towards electric vehicles but no one really seems to be addressing the 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 problem that all this added weight is going to um um bring to our roads no one seems to be making smart decisions around the weight of these vehicles gm should not be releasing 9500 pound suvs on the road it's just it's just silly and it's only going to increase um deaths and injuries that we see so that's something that i think ev manufacturers really need to wrap their heads around before they start turning every giant suv on earth into an even heavier electric vehicle you know, I'm going to expand on that a little bit. When you talk about the weight of vehicles, uh, heavy vehicles wear out bridges and roads. So, uh, you know, <laughs> kind of in a in a death spiral for the roads because as there are more EVs on the road, there's less revenue going into the transportation fund because they're purchasing less liquid fuel. Uh, there's no comparable tax on the electric fuel that's going into these cars. And uh, they're wearing out the roads more quickly, particularly, you know, if, if you've ever been in Florida, you'll see a lot of signs saying that heavy vehicles ruin the bridges and that, you know, you need to take it slow because of the impact of all these heavy loads. As the EVs take over a larger share of the cars on the highway, you're going to see a proportional increase in the rate of wear for roads, surfaces, and for bridges. So uh, this is something that needs to be addressed at a higher level because it's fundamental to driving safety to have safe roads, safe road surfaces, safe infrastructure. And there's also, I think, a tire issue that comes in there as well. You're 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 putting more wear on tires, which you know there are a lot of ecological uh, problems that can occur from tire particles. I believe salmon have an issue breeding when there are tire po- particles or chemicals from tires in their water. I mean, there's probably a host of other things that we don't even know about that that might occur from from tire particles and from and and EVs are only going to add to that. They're only going to add to wear and tear on tires given their weight. Um, and it's you know it's something that has to be considered as we you know, make this huge push to try to get every vehicle on the road to be electric in the next decade. All right. Resolution two, don't let salmon drive. Uh, okay. Resolution three. Uh-oh. Michael Brooks is coming out. Right. Politicians. Ready for it? We don't have to All wait. Right. We shouldn't have to wait every four years for an infrastructure bill and safety legislation. You All right. am hippie optimist. Yeah, it, it is a hippie optimist thing because, you know, Congress is kind of set in its ways now at this point. But it's it's really hard to get safety legislation anywhere near the finish line um, as, as its own bill. And I think that problem exists for in all sorts of areas with our Congress. So it's more of a general complaint. But what happens in, in that process is when you 
when you get these bills uh, that are added to the infrastructure bill, they inevitably get watered down. Um, and they, you know, a lot of the provisions in the recent infrastructure bill looked awesome about three months before they were negotiated. And then a lot of the things that were mandated became things like studies um, and, you know, a lot of the really strong rules that were that could have been made through legislation were were, were diluted. So um, it's it, it, we wish we saw more legislation going through as, you know, one bill addressing one thing versus a. 2000 page bill addressing 3000 different things. So that's, that's, you know, our first kind of issue with politicians and Congress. Our second is really related to NHTSA's budget. You know, we, we probably bitch a lot on this podcast about NHTSA and, and, and its functions and whether or not it's performing them properly. But the, the, the fact is NHTSA is not getting enough money to do the job we need it to do to, to reduce uh, traffic fatalities and injuries. They they have a budget that has probably gone down when you account for inflation since the 80s. And um, we've it's it's about one twentieth of what the FAA receives. Um and, you know, just reminding everyone that there hasn't been a commercial airline crash since 2009. And in that time, we've had, uh, I think, half a million people die on our roads, and yet NHTSA is receiving one twentieth of the FAA's budget. So it's uh, it's way past time for Congress to give NHTSA more money. And how often uh, in an airplane do pilots do brake checking? You know, I haven't I haven't heard of that phenomenon in air. I, I think it might take some seriously. Um, new tech to allow for air braking but fred fred probably knows more about that than i air braking and and uh exactly. jets. yeah well i mean <laughs> pilots they they're just like people right they're it sounds like it sounds like my plane it, it sounds like it would lead to a stall well they have what are called uh spoilers on the wings and if you've ever been in a plane and you see the upper surface that looks like a flat but it goes up rather than down those are called spoilers and that's exactly what to do is spoil lift. Um, they got that technology, Neil. It always makes me uh, a little concerned when you see the spoilers go up when you're in mid-flight. I'm sorry, connection lost. Are you in my back? Yeah, you've been here the whole time. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I think that's as close as we come. But, you know, they're also looking at electrifying airplanes. A lot of manufacturers are doing that. So... All the problems that we now see with electric vehicles will soon be available to airplane customers as well. Okay, that seems well, like a, a weight problem. I wonder if the EV, the first EV airplanes, will only be able to carry potato chips like the first <laughs> Tesla semis. <laughs> <laughs> they'll they'll start out with with chips, and one day they'll get to passengers. Yeah, well, no if, peanuts. You know, if, if you want fresh chips, that's definitely the way to go. All right, resolution three. We've just announced the Michael Brooks Presidential Exploratory Committee. They'll be taking on politicians everywhere, and yeah, that's not what America needs right now. Uh, that, that wasn't your. I, I misinterpreted it. All right, number four. That dreaded part of an automobile: rear seats. Make them a priority. Front seats have been focused for decades on safety, but rear seats not so much. Yeah, and we've we've discussed this as well in the podcast. You know, this is a resolution for everyone. This one's for NHTSA. This one is for manufacturers, suppliers. You know, even even for parents in some circumstances who need to um, 
you know, be, be, be wary of the dangers that exist in the rear seat when you put your kids in there. Um, but what we've seen, and I, we just talked about this earlier uh, under NHTSA's resolutions, um, the rear seat reminder, rear seat belt reminder rule that they were supposed to have out many years ago has just continued to drag out. And a lot of that's due to the fact that the rear seat just isn't prioritized. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. It's, it doesn't account for, the majority of injuries and deaths in vehicles. Um, and so over the years, you know, NHTSA and manufacturers have not prioritized safety in the rear to the point where, you know, rear seats are, you know, in danger of uh, occupants being injured by front seat uh, passengers flying into them during rear collisions because uh, front seats aren't built to withstand uh, collisions and they collapse often. Um we also see a lack of pretensioners and locking mechanisms on the seat belts in the back to make sure that the seat belts in the rear work as well as the ones in the front. Um, we see a, a huge lack of crash testing by NHTSA with folks uh, with dummies in the rear seats to figure out the crash forces that are applied to rear seat passengers. I just just started putting um, people in the rear seats, I believe, about a month or two ago to account for this problem. So. The rear seat really needs to be a focus for everyone in 2023. Resolution four, stay out of the back seat, I think. Right? Maybe. <clears throat> no, no. I mean, well, I mean, some cars are built with, you know, pretenders and things in the back seat. It's, it's going to depend on the car. Now, the majority are not. Um, so it's it depends on you. I mean, it depends on the, the customer, whether they're transporting people in the back seat or not. There's a lot of factors, but it's. Um, it's certainly something to think about when you're purchasing a vehicle. But I think that's the, the, the key point is that it shouldn't depend upon the car that you decide to purchase or whether or not you decide right. to transport yourself in the back seat. There should be standard regulations and standard requirements that everybody has to satisfy to assure the safety of rear seat passengers. And that's, uh, that's simply absent from the regulations now. It's a, it's a free fire zone in the rear seat. Especially with kids back there in their video games. All right. Resolution number five. Oh, this is my favorite. Drivers, get them off the road. There should not be any other vehicles on the road when I'm out there because they're annoying. They're on their phone. They're trying to drive into my trunk. Uh, they're, they're, uh, what is brake checking me? Actually, no one's, no one's brake checked me. I thought about brake checking someone the other day because they just kept crawling further and further. Instead, I just did the passive aggressive and just let off the gas and just slowly yeah, yeah. down because they could, there was another lane. They could have just passed me on the left side and they just got very angry. And I was like, well, there's plenty of space there. So drivers, yeah, get off your phone. It's, yeah, don't be drinking and driving. Don't be doing your, your, your dope smoking, your, your reefer madness. Um, you know, call an Uber, Lyft, taxi, something else. Sure, if you live in the middle of nowhere, I guess those options aren't available. Learn to hitchhike. Uh, and yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I like this line you wrote to us. The, your car is not an amusement park. 
Yeah, I mean, we see manufacturers, they're all headed that direction. They just want to, they keep talking about, oh, the driver and the in-car experience. And, uh, you know, we've seen Tesla throwing video games into cars. And, we, you know, the guy in uh, Florida who passed away, I believe, that hit a semi was watching a movie or something at the time of his death. I mean, these right people who are treating the vehicle driving experience like it's some kind of leisure activity are a huge part of the problem on our roads. Um, and mood lighting not only that. Cars. <laughs> and that's something we think humans are going to continually struggle with there you know no matter how much enforcement you put out there trying to catch people doing this and what's out there is is you know i would say is only half-heartedly enforced in most states no matter how much of that you put out there you know if if you don't if we don't ultimately have some technology that comes in here and can you know judge whether or not the vehicle is in in being operated competently um driver monitoring that type of thing if we don't get that into cars, I, I don't I don't think humans are going to solve this by changing their behavior, um, especially when manufacturers are turning cars into amusement parks and putting in all these bells and whistles that have oh so little to do with safety and getting from point A to point B and but have a lot to do with entertainment and basically turning what should be a job driving your car into a um, leisure experience. Well, I needed my heated massage seat, so uh, you know that I gotta relax while I'm driving. Well, I mean, if you can do that and stay focused, that's fine. Just don't let it, you know, don't drift off into a peaceful slumber. <laughs> All right, used car buyers number six. Now, this one's surprising to me. Okay, no, I understand right. car buyers. You got to go out and do your homework. You got to uh, do your homework uh, without a doubt. It's pretty straightforward to go ahead and do that. Um, right. but you're getting, you're getting swindled by number seven, which is the used car dealers. I'm combining these two because they go hand in glove. Um, and so use it's, it's a federal, like you can't do this. It's a federal offense to sell a vehicle that has an active recall on it. Or is that not true? No, it, it only applies to new vehicles. Um, and it's uh, something oh. speaking, speaking of legislation that, has been sitting out there forever, but never been able to cross the finish line. This is one of them because used car dealers do not want to repair um, vehicles with recalls, even though they are the ideal point for that to happen since um, you prevent the next customer from ever having that issue. <clears throat> and we've seen this problem, um, particularly with, with CarMax and some others who will actively advertise the vehicle's as inspected and you know basically present the customer with this full bill of health saying hey your car is great meanwhile you know they've got an open takata airbag recall on it that could that could blow up in their face any moment um so that's a huge problem and and that's why there's kind of a dual thing going on here because we have the buyers who really need to do their homework i mean you have the vin available to you when you walk into the dealership and you can feasibly pretty easily find out if you have open recalls in that vehicle um and we get a lot of calls from people for instance who have gone out and bought a you know a 2012 hyundai sonata when we know that engine failures on these things are very common and if you search them online you're going to find that almost immediately but you know buyers sometimes don't do their homework and that's how you end up with a vehicle that probably shouldn't even be resold um, at this point you know when you when you have a, a lot of vehicles that are experiencing engine problems over and over and over again um 
and a consumer goes in, buys it, takes out a loan, and then that car dies two weeks later, and they've got a $5,000 loan they still have to pay off. That's when they they usually come to complain to us or to their state attorney general. And there's not a lot we can do to help them at that point because, you know, the you know, they essentially made a bad purchase decision. And it, some states will protect buyers in that situation, but a lot of states won't. And um, so there is a lot of buyer beware there. So do your homework. That's important. And since it's a new uh, used vehicle, lemon laws don't apply? No, now there's only a couple of states that that have lemon laws for used vehicles. I believe New York, maybe some in California, a couple others. I can't remember them offhand, but um even in that case, those laws are they're difficult to qualify for and they're not quite as strong as we'd like to see them be. Um, and ultimately, you know, there are cars that simply need to come off the road. They're just not they're no longer operational. And back to the used car dealer point, they need to be the ones taking them off the road and salvaging them and parting them out or, you know, getting rid of these cars so that they can't be sold anymore. Um, but unfortunately, that's not the case. And also, you know. Not to just beat up on used car dealers, because there are a lot of great ones out there, even though there are a lot of bad ones, too. Independent sales, you know, person to person sales account for a significant portion of vehicle sales in America. And, you know, we as buyers and sellers aren't always doing a very good job of uh, policing ourselves when it comes to getting rid of our junk car and um, passing that junker on to someone else, um, independent sales can be a big source of headache. So that's that's another area where you certainly need to do your homework as a consumer. All right. So resolution six and seven, buyer beware, do your homework, uh, use car dealers, fix your recalls. It's free. On number eight, automakers, I read this as Tesla. Stop no, advertising we got our own BS tech. Section. No, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Automakers, stop advertising BS tech, overhyping ADAS crash avoidance features. Uh, speaking of which, a little side note. Yesterday, I watched the uh, corner outside my window as a BMW and a Tesla collided each other. Moving at low speeds, they couldn't have been going more than 35 miles per hour, I guess. You know, um, automatic emergency braking didn't work on on these vehicles. But the airbag deployment on the BMW was very impressive. No one was injured. They both got up and walked away. And, and you got to see all the little particles from the BMW everywhere. And the, the Tesla parked elsewhere, so I couldn't see the damage to it. But, um, yeah, ADAS crash avoidance definitely didn't work in this situation. Um, so stop advertising these things as if everything works and everyone thinks that cars can drive themselves. Yeah, and it's something we've seen just over and over again across different manufacturers, automakers, both new uh tech type automakers that are coming in without a lot of automotive experience as well as the the old guard you know they talk about their crash avoidance features like they are um truly and and completely protective of you when they're advertising them but when you dig into the details you'll see that you know the automatic emergency braking really isn't protecting pedestrians that well. It's really not stopping um, cars and high-speed crashes where we see a lot of injuries and deaths. So I think, and we also see it advertised under, you know, 30 different names for what is functionally the same thing. And it's just, it, it makes it makes for a lot of consumer confusion. It makes people think that their car can do a lot more than it actually can. Um, and it makes people rely on systems that weren't intended to be relied on. So that's that's a big problem 
right now is you know the communication between automakers and the public about the actual capabilities of the vehicles they're selling is a real bone of contention for us at the moment yeah uh consumers don't believe the hype all those fancy systems your hydromatic transmissions it's all just nonsense um or just not ready for safe use relied upon what do we think you know and 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 a lot of these things are getting better over time it's just it's just we're not there yet and you know it seems manufacturers and you know a, a lot of this has to do with investment and people trying to sell you know sell sell you know well we can I lost myself there for a minute. I, I, I had a um, <laughs> like much like GM Cruise. I had a, 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 what do you call it, Anthony? Uh, uh, an, an existential crisis there. Yeah, I, I, people at home, I wish this was a video because uh, this week Michael's hand gestures are unbelievable. He looks like a, a stereotypical Italian um, saying "Get off of my lawn" or something like that. It's he's he's either doing some sort of new aerobic exercise or he's getting very excited. Over these. I, I think it's I think it's maybe it's a lack of lack of movement over the last few very cold days and holidays. Mm, that could be that could Nerv- be it's nervous energy. Okay, okay. Uh, All right. Number nine, states do more homework. No one wants to do homework. Safety inspections. Now, this is one that surprises me. So, New York State, every year I have to get my car safety inspected, or I think it's safety and admissions in New York. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it just goes to the New York DMV uh, because they send me a letter about it. Um, but it doesn't get in line with NHTSA's electronic data systems. Tell us more. Yeah, well, that, that's a different issue. So states, you know, there's every year NHTSA collects data on every fatal crash that happens in, in the United States. And states are the source of police reports and other information on these crash. And some states have this stuff electronically logged and in a database that they upload to NHTSA and all this hunky-dory. Other states still do some of these things on paper. Um, and they're making it really difficult for uh, good data to be collected in a timely manner to, re- you know, really produce research that can boost safety quicker. So, you know, we'd like for some of those states to get their act together um, and and start making making crash data a priority. Um, that's the issue there. Now, on the inspection side, there's a lot of states that have been eliminating safety inspection requirements. Oh, and what? Yeah, there's there's a number of states that have, you know, typically, I think Texas is one and some others where it's come up on ballots. They're they're eliminating their safety inspection system. And now is probably the worst time to do that because um, we've got vehicles coming down the pipe that are going to probably need a better safety inspection regime than we've ever seen before. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, how does a state inspect, you know, a, a a crash avoidance system to make sure that it's operating safely, or how on earth would a state inspect an autonomous vehicle to make sure that the driver in that situation can operate the vehicle safely? Um, they're going to be 
a lot of issues coming down the pipe for states and those that are eliminating their safety inspection process are going to have to revive it at some point. And in the meantime, what they can also be doing is adding a requirement that you check for open recalls when you get your car inspected, not only to notify customers, but hopefully to get some of the more dangerous vehicles like the Takatas that we see right now um, with rising rates of fatalities, despite having only 15% of their population remaining out there. Um, to get things like that off the road and to to support um, NHTSA and the manufacturers in that situation who seem to be doing their damnedest to find and find these vehicles and remove them, remove the defective inflators from service. Well, um, Collins, name and shame. What are some of these states still using paper like it's the 1800s? I would have to go well deep into a NHTSA rulemaking to find that uh, at the moment. So you're not going to get that. I, I can make some <laughs> guesses. Would I can make a guess. I'll guess Wyoming. Oh, I was going to guess Mississippi would be my guess. Well, you know, I don't t- I don't like it when people make fun of my home state, but that's okay, Anthony. I'll let I you mean, slide since it's, it's Christmas. It's number 50 in education, so, you know, taking a guess oh. here. Taking well, a guess. Oh. <laughs> I had a great educational experience in Mississippi. Uh, he's changed his hand gestures now. Just want to point very that out. Defensive, <laughs> very defensive. Very defensive. Going for my my gun. <laughs> uh, okay, moving on. Number 10, AV manufacturers, automated vehicle manufacturers. Stop making promises for your future that will most likely exist well after you've gone bankrupt. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, we see it all the time. We see, we just saw it with, with Argo, which was, I think, Ford and VW got together. And, you know, these people, all of these AV manufacturers have come out strong and trying to get all the venture capital money into their wallet that they can. And then once they figured out how hard the problem is, they kind of fade off in the distance and say, ah, oh, well, we're just going to focus on level three and stuff like that now, because this stuff is way out here. Well, you've been telling us for five years that it's coming any minute and telling us that China is going to catch us and pass us any second. And now you're saying it's way out there. What's going on? So there is a never ending. um, AVs are a never ending source of, you know, existential truth. I mean, it's, it's just there's constant hype, but there's really other than, you know, crews and what they're doing in Waymo and maybe some some semi AV like transport type. And the stuff is going. It's not. It's not here yet. It's not going to be here for a long time. And I doubt anyone's going to have one parked in their driveway in the next thirty years. I mean, it's just there's a lot to be done. Damn it! Got to learn how to drive a car now. Uh, number eleven. I'm just going to do really quick because I think we've covered this quite a bit. It's consumers generally. Consumers check your car for recalls. Um, yeah. That's the that's the main thing there. And I want to do we, this one quick. Oh, sorry. Go. Yeah. On. We've covered that in the last few weeks with the, and and already mentioned it today with the Takata mess that's still ongoing. Um, but also last year, you know, we saw a lot of park outside warnings on vehicles, which means that if you don't receive notice or check your car for recalls, you're not going to know that that car needs to be parked outside of your garage, could catch your house on fire. Bad things can happen there. Um, park outside was not just for electric vehicles. It was also. No, no. In fact, it was. In fact, park outside warning was not on a single electric vehicle last year. I believe there was hybrids and other vehicles. The year before there was one with the the GM Chevy Bolt. Yeah. But um, last year was, uh, I believe, all non EVs. 
So um, do that. I hate go to autosafety.org, sign up for the vehicle safety check. And once a month, we'll send you any recall notices, uh, manufacturer investigations, find out any other complaints on your vehicles. Go ahead, do that, and you'll be in the know really easy. Number 12, the easiest one in the world. Are we ready for this? Now, see, now I got to hesitate before we start number 12 because it's uh, now's a good time. It's the end of the year. You need to make a tax deductible deductible donation go to autosafety.org click on donate and i'm asking you to do this now because number 12 some of you might get really angry over this one but you'd be wrong <laughs> so number 12 tesla get a real ceo <laughs> oh, I, mean, it's just, I think that's pretty clear to everyone at this point that that you know it, no human can run 23 companies or whatever it is properly um i would advise tesla to bring in someone like Mary Barra, someone who is, you know, a, a, has a proven track record of working at one company and not being distracted by a thousand other things, including um, her own ego. So it, it's 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 just an odd situation to have a, a company that manufactures that many vehicles and is tr to be headed up by someone who just doesn't seem to be focused on. They've never really seemed to be focused on total safety of those vehicles at all, but more interested in selling systems that don't exist yet to people who are, you know, willing to believe a line of bullshit. So this is interesting in your notes. Um, please explain why your selected data show that your drivers appear to have the highest pedal misapplication rate in the history of vehicle safety. Right. Well, so Tesla, so NHTSA is investigating Tesla for sudden acceleration. Um, and Tesla comes back with this data set that says every incident you that that's been reported here, there was a pedal misapplication by the driver. Um, but when you look at the data on that, uh, or as far as consumer complaints, there's an enormous number of consumer complaints for folks who have had this happen. So if every example of that happening is a pedal misapplication error, then functionally what Tesla is saying is that our drivers have the highest pedal misapplication rate in history because there have never been this many complaints on, on vehicles for, for SUA as far. I mean, I don't know if it's a, <clears throat> I don't know if it's a media-driven phenomenon in this respect, kind of like we've seen with some other sudden acceleration investigations in the past. But I, I just – there are so many complaints that it just – it would suggest – the data has to suggest one of two things, that either Tesla drivers are hitting the wrong pedal at a far higher rate than the average driver or that Tesla is hiding data – um, that it has um, that shows that maybe there wasn't pedal misapplication in all these cases. So that's something that, you know, turning back to NHTSA transparency, Tesla's been submitting stuff to NHTSA now on this issue for a long time, and none of it has seen the light of day because Tesla continually requests confidentiality for everything it sends to NHTSA, including things like the date of the submission, the uh, their corporate logo, uh, they, they want the entire page redacted from every submission they make. Um, so it's a huge problem. And that goes back to not only transparency, but also Tesla, who has been playing a cat and mouse game with NHTSA for a couple of years now. And a lot of that, I think, goes straight to the top. And that's another reason why I think they, they need a new CEO over there. So if you buy a Tesla as a Tesla consumer, realize that Tesla thinks you can't drive. Um, that's kind of the takeaway there.
All right, number 13. Now, number 13, this was a company that I was excited about. Not that I could ever afford one of their vehicles, but I thought their vehicles looked very cool. And unfortunately, number 13, Lucid, um, just a really expensive piece of junk. Yeah, that, that's the feeling, you know, we're getting looking at looking at their uh, owner's website. You know, they're just every couple of days you see a new report of someone stalling on the road or having serious issues, even sometimes getting out of their carport with these things. So there's a there's a problem there. NHTSA's lo- supposedly looking into a whistleblower uh, from Lucid who brought forth a bunch of claims a few months back. But so far, NHTSA hasn't opened a formal investigation. Uh, we think they should. These cars are stalling, and that is a clear safety issue. Okay. How many are there? How many Lucid cars are on the road? 2, 000, you know? Around 2,000, maybe a little more. And I think NHTSA has five complaints on that you know population which is you know that's far more than they need or have need in the past open investigations and type and that type of situation and if you go to the owner's website there are literally dozens of uh complaints about stalling and so it's it's something that we think should have been addressed a month a couple of months ago but um we'll see we'll see if NHTSA opens investigation after the holidays well i think all of these new companies are are hampered by the intervention of reality into their plans. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they, they take that, that uh, eliminate the dealer model, which in some ways I love, but the dealers have dealerships and repair centers, which yeah. it like, you know, I, I think we discussed a couple of weeks ago that every lucid model was recalled um, and there's no dealership for them. Right. Right. They typically send out like a mobile unit or you know or something like along those lines and they you know i think some people have had to have their you know if you live in wyoming again you've got a long way for them to take your vehicle for repair so that's been really frustrating from the owners that um i've talked to they say that you know having there's just it's not it's nothing like driving to your local service center you you call and you get an appointment set up and sometimes they take your car for a couple of months a few states over and then get it back to you and you hope it's fixed and sometimes it's still not fixed so that's an ongoing problem and um we expect that one to 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 reach a head at some point there's another there's another underlying problem which is that any new vehicle like that that doesn't have a lot of road experience um, is based upon the engineers simulating the loads and and capabilities of the components in the car. Every engineering simulation of that is an exercise in engineering hubris. Uh, you just you you just can't get there with simulations, and there's no substitute for putting these on the road and accumulating experience. Um, for the different components that are in the car. We even know this with, you know, things that are well-established like iPhones. Every iPhone update that comes out has got some bugs in it that only become apparent when you've got 100 million people checking it. So um, I, I would just ask our listeners to be wary of whenever they're buying into a really new concept that there is are bound to be unanticipated problems because computers, engineers, uh, simulations, they just aren't good enough to compensate for what reality is going to bring to the party. Okay, number 13, reality bites. Ha! Uh, all right, I added number 14. Number 14 is personal for myself. 
Okay, number 14, I'm talking to you, the New York City Department of Transportation. At the corner of Riverside Drive and Henshaw, you have a green left turn arrow. Please add a red left turn arrow because once a month I see a car crash there. That could just be stopped or reduced if you put in a red turn signal. Come on, I've asked you to do this. I've asked you to put in speed bumps on the road and you've told me no. And, you know, that's just mine. So number 14 usurps the previous 13. This is, let's focus on what's important. I'm going to throw in a a few more here just Uh from my own personal. I'll try to go through it quickly in the interest of time. Uh, First one is keep nonsense out of industry standards for automated vehicles. There's, uh, you know, standards tend to say things like, we have to have real-time perception. Well, what the hell does that mean? And what is real-time? You know, what is a... What is an acceptable latency associated with a real-time perception? Uh, How drunk am I? This has got to be cleaned up. Uh, We will continue to fight for public safety, primacy, and NHTSA regulations. We will emphasize the S in NHTSA rather than the A in NHTSA. Ooh, I like that one. And to uh, the listeners, that means National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, right? The S is... The yes is safety. Oh. <laughs> um, let's see. Assert the public's right to know the basis for safety claims of AV operation on public roads. Uh, we have no idea what is inside these vehicles. We have no idea what their standards are. Uh, nobody has any reason to believe that these cars are any safer than any other hand grenade that they might find lying in the street. Um Advocate for deployment of available economical life-saving tech safety technologies, uh, automatic emergency braking, pedestrian automatic emergency braking are good examples of that. They're available. Uh, the government needs to step in, set standards for them, and get them in the damn cars so that people stop dying. Um, demand objective test standards for automated driving and safety technology. Talked about automated emergency braking, uh, pedestrian AEB, uh, AV competency in areas where there is traffic congestion, in adverse weather, um, ODD escapes, like when something happens and the vehicle suddenly finds itself outside of the area where it's intended to be operated. Um, One example would be parking in an open field when you go to a concert. How the heck do you do that if it's not you know, if it's not lined and, and paved. Um, unauth- this is one of my bugbears is unauthorized use exclusion. How do you know that the person giving commands to an automated vehicle is the person who should be giving commands to them? And how do you know that someone else hasn't intervened to make it do something unsafe? Um, and, uh, sorry. That was another good one. These are, these are good. Where, where have you been in the last 27 yeah. episodes? I saw a Lexus commercial like that recently where the two guys were fighting over control of the song coming on the radio. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you, I mean, think of it. If you have voice activated command for your AV, people are going to argue, uh, you know, do I go to the library? Do I go to the, the local Sonic? Um, and finally, bicycle and motorcycle proximity safety for AVs. There, uh, you know, it's a very difficult technical problem to figure that out. And as we've seen, the AVs are, they're running into a disproportionate number of motorcycles and killing the people driving the motorcycles. Now, you could argue that motorcycles are inherently unsafe, but there's no reason to make them even less safe 
by neglecting what you need to do in AV standards and transparency. You know, if the Navy can't navigate the roads without endangering pedestrians or motorcyclists, as a minimum, the public should know that. The people who build them know that. Why shouldn't the rest of us know it if they're using roads that we've paid for, that we use every day and entrust our lives to? So that's my short list. That's great. I'm going to add an additional one. No one who lives in my house shall have a motorcycle, look at a motorcycle, or breathe on a motorcycle. I'm talking to one 17-year-old who's asleep right now. Oh, I like that one. It's a good one. I've told him I, I might force him to be on the podcast so you two can have an intervention with him. <laughs> he, he, he's still talking about this. Huh? He's still talking about it. He's like, oh, I have to take the train to go to my girlfriend's house. If I had a motorcycle, it could be there. Whoa. In New York City. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even worse is his girlfriend lives in New Jersey. So I'm like, really? Yeah, exactly. Well, if, you have the motorcycle, if you had the motorcycle, he would never show up. Yeah. Oh, there you go. That, so what's more older, what's more important the motorcycle or the girlfriend exactly that me? and she can't you know what is he gonna do get on the back of his motorcycle no I mean, yeah That's scary yeah it is very scary um i i think we've had a very good new year's program i think coming in the the following year we'll have even more stuff next week we're gonna do a uh a, a, a towel of fred on something called the trolley problem. I just don't think we have enough time to do it today. It's um, disturbing no. and makes me know you think we have time. I think so. I'll zip right through it. Okay. Oh, right. so the, the uh, just real quickly. So the trolley problem is a runaway trolley is about to drive over five people tied to a track. You're standing by the track and can pull a lever that redirects the trolley onto another track where one person is tied up. Do you pull the lever? If you do nothing, five people will be killed. Who thinks of this stuff and why? Egghead's got an egghead, huh? All right. Well, let's say there's yeah, there's five people on one track and one person on the other track, and the operator has to decide which way to go. Um, so here's a question. Why not apply brakes to the trolley and slow it down so it doesn't kill anybody? Oh, yeah. There, there you go. Yeah, and, I think my, my point is if you reach the point where you're making that decision, you've already screwed up so bad that that you shouldn't be on the road. Exactly. Well, maybe I think that's you it. should throw but, yourself in front of the trolley. Yeah, but, you know, just stating the problem assumes that you have perfect knowledge of the situation, the consequences of throwing the switch, and maybe the switch is broken, right? And um, and the relative value of the people who are in the, who are in the way of the trolley. So, yeah. for example, what if the three, what if the five people tied to the track are convicted axe murderers and uh, the one person tied to the other track is terminally ill? Which way do you go? Is this, logic, is this logic that's going to be built into the um, the AV control system somewhere? I, I don't know how you do it. So it's really kind of a nonsense problem. And it immediately leads to the billionaire problem, which is how do you kill all of these peasants who are in the way of your ambition if you only have a single trolley, right? <laughs> so that you know that's a serious problem for some people that we've talked about in the past. Oh, no. But uh, I think ultimately... The trolley problem is to AV control what the Y2K bug was to computer programming. It's just kind of a, 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 a shiny concept that has no meaning that people can kind of hang their hat on and say, yeah, gee, we really ought to think about this. But as a practical, as a practical concern, it really has nothing to do with the way you would design a, a, an effective control system for an automated vehicle. So uh, I tend to discount 
a lot of the trolley problem considerations because it simply is, is not realistic. It will never happen. And there are far more pressing issues that need to be addressed in AV control and testing than this uh, remote and unrealistic problem. So that's my short that's my short answer about the trolley problem. That was great. I loved it. And yeah, the trolley problem is is with AV designers, the automatic vehicle designers being like, well, what what which of these two bad decisions does it make? And and it's really I think you summed it up perfectly is these are not realistic problems, um, because as we know right now, the AVs are, you know, petulant little teenagers that will just stop in the middle of the road and give up their job. One of the people in my neighborhood had a Tesla and his 12 year old kid got into the Tesla and just pointed to the uh, the map. And the Tesla said, okay, I'll drive there. And immediately took off and went down the street with this 12 year old um, without any capacity for actually controlling the vehicle, just kind of watching the Tesla meander down the road to the destination that he'd picked. So yeah, there's there are more important problems to solve than worrying about the trolley problem. Wow, what what destination did the twelve year old pick? I'm not sure what it was. I think it may have been random, but despite the lack of priority, that's where the car went because it did not authorize the user. It never checked to, to make sure that the person giving the command was somebody who should be giving the command, and it it didn't have any logic to determine whether or not the destination was even appropriate for the use of the car at that time. So, these, you know, there's big, big fundamental control and authorization issues that none of these cars have solved. And and you said your neighbor had a Tesla. So do they no longer have a vehicle? Oh, this is secondhand information. So as far oh. as I know, they still have the Tesla. And uh, the, the child has since successfully grown up to be of legal age for driving a car. So I, it, it has a more or less happy ending, but it is a, still a cautionary tale. All right, then. Well, Elon, I'm sure, would categorize that as a user error and nothing to do with his genius. Well, if every driver is an error user, then, uh, yeah, I guess that was that would fit. All right, listener. So I, I know it's tax planning time and you're like, oh, I made so much bank last year on all my Tesla stock. Wait, not that one. Some other stock, something. And I got to I got to give back to the people. And so, hey, here are three people you can give back to. Uh, the Center for Auto Safety. Go there, autosafety.org. Click on that red donate button and and uh, give until uh, you can hear the people at Ford and GM going, no, stop supporting them. They make our life hard. <laughs> ah! Yeah, and, and Elon just being like, I tweet now. Uh, and the people at Lucid just not responding because they're like, oh, wait, all of our cars are junk? Oh, no. Well, Elon may take our Twitters away. You never know. We have Twitters. Oh, we do have Twitters. <laughs> yeah. How come you haven't gotten the Twitter account banned yet, Michael? You know, I haven't tried hard enough. Mm. See, donate and he can try harder. That's what he needs. He needs, he's motivated. This is a man strictly motivated by monetary means. So, you know, if you want to see him, you know, get banned on Twitter, you got to give. Uh, now with that, hey, thanks, listeners. Uh, see you next year. Thank you, and Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Happy New Year, everybody.
For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.